This is your daily real estate syndication show, and I am your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. Our guest is Ferd Neiman. Thanks for being on the show, Ferd. Thanks, Whitney. Glad to be here. Ferd is a mobile home park lawyer, owner, operator, investor, podcaster, MBA, CCIM, and broker also. He focuses on solving complex real estate problems. He is passionate about real estate and helping others. Ferd, welcome to the show. It's just interesting. I know you and I were talking about this for the show, but just you know, branding yourself as that mobile home park lawyer, it's, it's just amazing. It's a, a great idea that you, know, you can focus in that niche, be an expert, and then people know who that expert is. And so I'm looking forward to learning more about you know, yourself and diving into the mobile home parks and how you're helping these other operators and how you've got to where you're at now. But, so give us a little more about yourself and your practice and your mobile home park business. Yeah, so I'm based here in Kansas City, so I practice mobile home park operations in the Midwest. And then on the legal services, I'm pretty much going nationwide. I don't do litigation or like evictions in court in other states, but here I pretty much touch a lot of operational consulting on retail license, water sewer issues, LLC setups, contracts, leases, title work, title objections. I'm a zoning and real estate lawyer by trade, so I do a lot of zoning and permitting issues, which is really important in the MHP space. Grandfathering is very important in this asset class. Do some syndication work on the legal side. Do some syndication work on the operational side as well. And then, you know, all your other kind of blocking and tackling of contracts and, and real estate law and can just kind of consulting on MHP. So that's that's kind of the current practice. You know, by way of background, like I said, I'm an attorney by trade. I practiced law at a boutique real estate firm here in Kansas City, probably the best firm in the metro. Did zoning law, tax incentives. Before that, I was a county appraiser here in Kansas City youngest in county history to do that and had a 75 person team and eight million dollar operating budget and worked in government for five years went to, i pretty much had two jobs my whole life you know i went to school for a decade but i was doing that all while working i went to law school while working full-time so it's just been the hustle but and today i got two jobs now i'm owner operator and lawyer so it's been, it's been a fun ride but look forward to doing more Wow. You know, went to law school while working full-time. I mean, I can relate to that. Just two businesses or two jobs and working full-time while, you know, getting a business going and growing and all these things. That's not easy, but it shows just your determination and a willingness to make it happen, which I'm sure uh, is so crucial to where you're, where you're at now as well. Let's dive into, you know, your niche, your specialty, which is mobile home parks, especially from the legal side. I know you mentioned a few things there like zoning and permits and grandfathering and even syndicating. And let's talk about some of those things as it relates specifically to mobile home parks and issues that, you know, uh, people you're working with are having in those places. Sure. I mean, with an MHP, it's, it's very common for municipalities cities in particular, to not like mobile home parks. There's a stigma. You know, they think of their trailer parks or worse. And, you know, they think they're hotbeds for crime and poor people. And and as a result, they want, want to get rid of them. They'd much rather have a mobile home park be torn up and become a Home Depot or a new apartment or new hotel or McMansion neighborhood. So they're very hostile. They put a lot of laws on the books, many of which are unconstitutional. The property rights are constitutional rights. So there's really three types of mobile home park. There's legal conforming, which is rare because that means it's up to the current code and it was legally permissible at, at some point in the past. Those are mostly new development, very little new development. 
You've got the illegal park, which is, you know, the guy, somebody built it without permission and just the government's looking their way because the guy's, you know, friends with the mayor. But, you know, the next guy, you or I buy it, they're going to sting us and say, oh, you can't get rid of that. You got to get rid of that. You can't have it, even though it's been there for 50 years. So you never want to buy illegal. But so most of the mobile home parks fall in the middle, which is the grandfather status, which is it's legal, meaning it was permissible at the time it was built, but it's now non-conforming with the current code. So a lot of what I do is try to get some of the restrictions limited as it pertains to setbacks, internal and perimeter setbacks to basically allow for better infill and without being classified as a new development or redevelopment. Because the name of the game in MHP, I mean, depending on the type of asset you buy, but if you're buying heavy infill or, you know, kind of a rehab method, you got to bring in new homes and you bring in new homes on old lots that are typically smaller and configured differently. And cities put a lot of restrictions in place, many of which are invalid. So it's my job to you know, read the code, you know, get smart on that city, that state, and negotiate, hopefully, in a, in a you know, cordial manner. But sometimes it just becomes abrasive and adversarial to city, and you have to fight for your property rights. That's a really big issue. And, and zoning is important in all real estate, but in, in MHP, it's probably the hardest to get zoned. And there's more hostility towards it than about any other asset class. And would that be if you're building a new project or or you have one that's illegal, like you talk about, like you talked about, that you'd be worried about the zoning? Most of the zoning work I do is on existing projects where somebody wants to a new owner wants to one prove the permit's valid, two prove they can bring in new homes and kind of get a certificate of zoning. But I, I don't just ask the city, hey, send me the zoning because then they're going to send you what it is. And you're like, well, no, no, I'm not going to accept that. I read the code, I negotiate with them, I draft a zoning letter and say. You know, he or she, you know, whoever it is, I need you to put this on your letterhead and sign it. And then I can go to the title company and I get a zoning endorsement, which is like another set of insurance, like belt and suspenders, so that if a different administrator of the city comes in down the road, changes city position, I've already got a backup plan. As far as new development, those are very rare. It's going to be very location, city specific. I mean, nationwide, I think there's 44,000 home parks. There are less than two dozen constructed in a given year. More, I mean, it's a dying, it's, it's going extinct. I mean, relative, there, there's more being redeveloped and thrown away than are being recreated or, or created from new. So that becomes more of a, to some degree, a blue state, red state issue, but also I'm in the process of expanding two parts I have now. So expanding is still hard, but I'm able to do it in one of them because it's it's in the county. So it's outside city limits. But when you get outside either the county, you often run into things like no city water, no city sewer which then increases the development cost, the risk, et cetera. So in, in, the, in a practical world, there are very few people out there developing new mobile home parks. I'd like to. I've got a development background in retail, so I, I understand the entitlement process and permitting process from that standpoint. But it's really just finding a location in a city that to play ball and a market that has the right economics to make it make sense. Speak to the due diligence process a little bit as far as, you know, if we're going to buy a a park now, one, to make sure it's not illegal like you talked about, but two, you know, I'm sure we should be thinking about, okay, is there room to expand? Is it permitted for that? You know, what's our options there? Or, you know, we do have to move a park out. Can we move a new one in? How do we ensure, you know, some of those things during the due diligence process so we know we're ready as soon as we close? Like all real estate, there's kind of the big items that you just you pretty much hire third-party professionals for. Like, you've got to get a phase one environmental. If the environmental engineer says it's dirty, you know, you can kill the deal. Maybe there's a phase two or something that can fix it. But for the most part, you get a phase one, you get a survey, ideally an alta survey with some table A items. Obviously, you need to make sure the deal is financially feasible. So you run your market, you run economics, you look at the market rents, you look at your assumptions, your property taxes, all that stuff. And you see if it's bankable, you get an appraisal. But those are kind of like 
third party reports from the due diligence on the buyer operator side. You know, I want to look at the first, I want to save money at the beginning. I'm not going to go spend money on those reports. You're in, ten, you're in for 10 grand a minute when you're going to do that. So before I spend all the money, I get bids on that stuff right out of the gate, but then in each trade area, but right again, I'm doing a test ad. I'm putting that on Craigslist, Facebook, local newspaper. Here's the, you know, $800 a month, three bed, two bath, 1,216 square feet. And then see if you see how many people bite on it. And I get a feel for the market. Obviously, I need to look at the zoning with the city. That's generally hire a lawyer for it. Unless you're confident in that area yourself, make sure the zoning's good, the permit's good. You want to make sure that you check out the utilities. Most of the real estate, if you're buying a hotel, it's probably not on a septic. Right? You're buying a mobile home park, it might be on a septic, it might be on a lagoon, it might be on a wastewater treatment plant. You might have well water. Well, all of those things are, include more risk. You need, to have, you need to get budgets for reserve, you need to get professionals inspected, you need to camera the sewer lines. I got about a 75-point checklist that I go through. You know, I'm referencing some of the big you know, fatal issues, but you also want to just make sure you can bring homes in, see, see if the city prohibits vicious dogs of some sort. See if you can put you know, for sale signs and banner signs out on the street. Where do we find that information? Like, where would we go to search, you know, those things with the city? Depends on the municipality. I mean, a, a bigger city, like I'm in Kansas City, they're going to have a, a full code. You can typically go to their website and just type in Muni code, M-U-N-Y, or, or city code. Sometimes they call it a uniform development code. You can go to the planning website. Sometimes, you you know, if you don't know how to drill down on this stuff, I would say just go to the city website or county website and look for planning or development and find who the planning administrators and call that number and say, what are the restrictions? What, what, what can I do and not do? And most cities are quasi-helpful where they'll at least point you to the right document. Uh, you know, the ones that are really helpful will send you the exact excerpts from the code that you want to verify, or at least you want to put it in their zoning letter that, that binds them in writing. And there's about 10 things I put in the zoning letter that some of them have mentioned here, but there's a lot of the research standpoint. You can go, you want to know the market area. So like, you know, if I'm going to some town, Joplin, Missouri, you know, I know where Joplin is, South Kansas City, by two, two and a half hours. I don't really know what the vacancy rate is in that town, what the market rents are for apartments, what the market rents are for lot rent, for mobile homes. So I can make, I can look it up on Google, call those places in secret shop. I can go to bestplaces.net or, or run a report from a scout or some of the real estate source to give me some of that information. Look at the employment, you know, other due diligence you do typically is you want to look at the, you want to have good employers, meaning typically government, university and healthcare. Because those don't really go out of business. You don't want to be a one-horse town where it's like there's the one meat plant and everybody works the meat plant. And then Smithfield Foods moves the meat plant and now you're stuck pulling the bag on a trailer park. So diverse economies are good. County seats, lots of government jobs, good. And then the personal preference of what's your bandwidth as far as how far you want to go from your home base, how much money you have. And if you want a park that's stable, which is going to typically cost more. Or it be a more of a premium, or if you want a heavy lifting project, which you can get by at a, a discount, but you, it's harder to do that if you got a full time job. Some of that's subjective as to what your investment goals are, but that's just um, some of the process I go through on every deal. Our guest is Tristan Thomas. Thanks for being on the show, Tristan. Whitney, thanks for having me. I'm really excited about it. Tristan works with Open Door Capital LLC as a nationwide infill manager. Since 2018, he has personally acquired over 55 units, including a mobile home park of his own, and has been working alongside uh, Brandon Turner in his Open Door Capital Fund as their nationwide infill manager. He has also been featured on Business Insider and Bigger Pockets podcasts. Tristan, welcome to the show. I know you. Know, uh, I want you to just tell the listeners a little about your story. How 
how you got into this business, but then also tell them what an infill manager is. I bet there's a lot of listeners that are like, what in the world is that? But tell us what that is as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just start with a little bit about myself. Young entrepreneur, started mobile home investing three or four years back here in Maine where I live and pretty quickly got just really deep into it and met Ryan Murdoch, who was from Maine as well, who was, uh, you know... He's also been on the show. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So him and Brandon, uh, you know, they got into business together and they're having a great thing going. Well, long story short, they brought me along to tag along. So their very first park they bought in Maine, they actually hired me to infill their park. So what that means, is they had, I don't know, I think it was eight or 12 vacant pads in their mobile home park. And they hired me to go out and find homes, move them in, uh, you know, oversee the rehab and then sell them off. So that was kind of like the test run that no one even knew about. And then they said, Hey, we like this mobile home park thing. And they launched open door capital fund and said, Tristan, we'd love for you to be involved. So that's kind of how it started. And, uh, you know, I've been on with them for almost a year now. And, you know, we're, we're growing very quickly and it's exciting and you know there's a lot of responsibility I have and it's just been a really cool ride. So for those who don't know what an infill manager is, basically, like, like I said, it's whenever we purchase these parks nationwide and there's vacant pads in the parks and those are zero income producing pads. They don't make any money for the park. And it's my job to go out and locate a new or used home that fits our criteria and we can get into that and move it into our community and oversee the rehab and just kind of be the infill manager. So I'm managing the infill of all of our parks nationwide. So it's been one crazy ride so far, but I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, you know, most people don't go to college to be a mobile home infill manager. I don't think there's courses out there like that, but uh, definitely blazing the path. Nice. Well, maybe there's a calling there for you <laughs> to create that course. You know, you should own that. I don't know of anybody else that's doing that. So that's interesting, you know, because it's not a term or title, you know, that you hear very often or, or, you know, hardly ever. And so it's great, you know, just for the listener to say, okay, you know, if I'm doing mobile home parks, you know, there's a position here for me to feel I need somebody that's, you know, got the expertise that Tristan does, you know, so we don't have those empty pads, right? Just costing us or that could be creating income, you know, for our property increase the value, all, all those things. And so let's just jump into this role a little bit and what you do, Tristan, you know, and help the listener to think about how to do this as well. If they can't hire somebody like yourself, you know, that's just going to specialize in that. But, uh, and then we'll get to that, the criteria, like you were talking about of that new mobile home, but let's just go through maybe a typical day or, or what you're looking for. Or give us an example of a park, maybe with some empty spots that you're working on and what you're doing, how we do this. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I have my own portfolio of, you know, a park and about around 60 units and actually have two smaller parks under contract. So pretty much what I do for my own stuff is just a smaller scale of what I'm doing for ODC and for Brandon. You know, basically what it looks like is, you know, these vacant pads, like I was touching on earlier, I mean, they're not making any income for the park owners and it's a, you know, an infill play. It's a huge value add play, you know, for all your value add listeners out there. I mean, just, it's like, buying an apartment complex that's 40% occupied, you know, and then just going in there and blasting those units and increasing the occupancy. With mobile home parks, it's no different. It's increasing the occupancy through bringing in a mobile home. You know, and when you really look at the numbers on how valuable it is, I mean, usually you take the lot rent, maybe around 300 bucks a month times 12 divided by the cap rate. And, you know, a lot of times just adding one, just filling one vacant pad in your park will increase the value of your asset or property by 30, 50, you know, 60 grand even on some cases. So, you know, when you're looking at maybe 10 or 15 or 20 grand to infill that one spot and, uh, you know, 
all of a sudden you have a lot paying tenant who's all of a sudden just increased your value of your property by 40 or 50 grand. You can see how much value can be added over just filling 10 spots. So when you say one home, say, you know, increase the value by 20 to 30 grand, is that what you're saying? No, increase the value of your property by 40, 50 or 60 grand, but it might only take you 20 grand to fill that spot, you know? So you're already two or three Xing the cash needed to fill that one spot just by filling it with a lot paying tenant. Nice. Nice. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that a little deeper and what that process looks like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So basically, I mean, when we have a vacant pad in our park and, you know, I've dubbed the fill that pad, we always check out the pad first, check out utility connections, water, sewer, gas, electric, you know, depending on your state municipality, you're going to have some kind of local ordinance requirements to, you know, maybe a concrete pad, gravel pad, you know, there's all kinds of different things. So definitely want to want to check into that. But once you have, you know, your pad prepped and ready, you're ready to go ahead and move a home on. So, I mean, at this point, basically, and everything I do with Brandon and Open Door Capital is all from my desktop computer here in Maine. And, you know, I've been really fortunate to be able to have good boots on the ground in the communities that we own throughout the country that I'm really able to leverage my time and leverage, you know, my boots actually having to be there. So basically that's what we do. We, you know, we find boots on the ground and, you know, they work really closely with me and it's pretty much mobile home investing, but just infilling for these parks. So they're learning a really valuable set of skills to go out and buy these homes, what to look for, and then, you know, overseeing the process of moving it in. So, I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces between, you know, contractors rehabbing them, you know, transportation companies moving and setting them, local ordinances, you know, certificate of occupancy inspections, the whole nine yards. So, but once you tie it together and you do 10, 20, 30 of these infill homes, I mean, the, the amount of value it adds to your park is huge, you know, and that's why a lot of people are, are getting into it. So, wow. Okay. So, what are some, I guess, pitfalls that you have or that you see, or maybe some other infill managers or operators, you know, as they're doing this or having this process, or even you find a property like this and you have some land, maybe there's a dozen homes on it already. And you think, well, okay, I could fit a dozen more here. You know, there's maybe you can, maybe you can't, but what are some issues that you see through that process that other people have? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the biggest issue with anybody from trying to do this afar is the ability to locate good quality help. You know, so when we're looking for boots on the ground for me to assist me, it's imperative that, you know, they're responsive, that they're motivated. I mean, it really helps us out a bunch when we got, you know, a guy like Brandon Turner and open door capital name on our chest and, and, you know, we approach him and say, Hey, you know, what do you think about this idea? And a lot of times they're very excited and motivated to help us out and, you know, make some money in the meantime. So I would think one of the biggest pitfalls for people is just inability to find local, good quality, local help. You know, and, and that just goes hand in hand with my efforts. I mean, if I didn't have anybody I could count on out there in Ohio, per se, you know, sitting here in Maine, I, you know, my hands are tied. So that's probably the biggest pitfall is just making sure that you have good quality, you know, assistance that you can, that they're at least coachable, you know, because I mean, this is a niche, it's a niche asset, you know, not a lot of people know what the underside of a mobile home look like, you know, they buy a mobile home park because they like the cash flow of it. And they like the idea of bringing in homes, but they don't really know that middle space. And luckily for me, that's how I got started in industry. So it was just something that I learned and it was second nature to me and not a lot of people want to do it. So it's worked out pretty well. Nice. Yeah. I mean, finding good help is so difficult. You know, we've been going through a hiring process. I've learned a lot about hiring recently, but finding people on the ground that will be your hands and feet when you're from a distance is it's difficult. You know, it's very difficult. So but let's talk about that a little bit about doing this from a distance. You know, it's a lot different than when you can actually drive there and look at something, put your hands on it and see somebody in person, you know, yourself, but you're doing this, you know, from a great distance. And, you know, let's talk through how you manage that a little bit. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's important for, you know, and I'm sure people have heard this on shows before, but it's just, you know, at the end of the day, it's a limiting belief, you know, that makes you think that you can't invest in other areas of the country. And I mean, it's, that really hurts you as an investor and it hurts your mentality because I mean, there's a lot of opportunity in other parts of the nation or even the world that's not in your backyard that you feel most comfortable with because you can touch it. So, I mean, I think it's imperative that, you know, in order to scale, you got to be able to let go of some of these limiting beliefs. And this is certainly one of them. You know, it's even gotten to the point where my own portfolio, one of my biggest properties is 15 minutes from my house. And since I've been able to be successful and do this with Brandon from my desktop, you know, I've been challenging myself and say, well, wait, why do I need to go and travel 15 minutes to touch my park when, you know, I have guys there that I trust, you know, so it's been a lot of, it's just been a transition that even though now I have stuff out of state and and in state, I, you know, I just transition it to where, you know, I'm just doing everything from my desktop and my phone. So yeah, pretty much to end that point, I mean, in order to scale, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? You know, and, and that's just one of the things is, is you got to let go of the fact that you can't do it because you can, you just got to find the right guys, right people. It, yeah, I was going to say, and that key is finding those right people that you trust. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to have to go there or fly there, right? Yeah, if it doesn't get done properly or yeah. So what are some tools maybe that you have for communicating or organizing and, you know, even, you know, how do you know these things have been done? What do you use? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so luckily we live in the 21st century. There's all kinds of technology at our fingertips. You just got to reach out and use it. So the biggest thing that I utilize for my job is literally my cell phone and my cell phone video camera, you know? So whenever I need to get eyes on a vacant pad to discuss with the contractor, what needs to be done, or whenever I need to get eyes on a mobile home and go through and create a scope of work with a contractor, you know, I just whip out FaceTime or if they don't have an iPhone, we whip out Facebook messenger and just have a video chat. And literally, I mean, it's very simple. We just start on one side of the room and we talk about what's there, what needs to happen. And I'm taking notes, I'm creating the scope of work and we just move through the entire home. And it just makes it increasingly you know, easy to be there in Ohio or Wisconsin or wherever, you know? And yeah, I mean, and you have to have a lot of trust with the guys. I mean, you got to have you trust that they're going to get the job done and the job right. But you know, with this technology we have, it's so easy to say, Hey, you know, just send me a picture as soon as you're done, you know, leveling this pad and, and, you know, blah, blah. And, and there it is, I've confirmed it and it's done. And, you know, I'm still sitting at my desktop in Maine and the job's done, you know, so definitely use of technology. As far as like software, like we use Asana for open door capital, which has been great. It's just, you know, a CRM tracking software basically for our team, but it's been huge. I mean, you know, being able to, I mean, we have so much going on and we're growing so quickly and it's just been really easy for the team to get everything in one place. You know, we can talk to each other and all that. So technology, man, I'm telling you, it's a hack and we're using it really well. What about, do you all have a method or process of documenting these processes or, you know, or some way that your team knows to document these things or do things? Yeah, absolutely. So we got two separate sides of things. Obviously we have, you know, the management front that manages the parks. And then we have, you know, like the team tracking stuff for all of our key points or all of our job tasks. So I mean, obviously management company, I believe they use rent manager, which all has its own perks and they shoot out, you know, maintenance requests and all that. But as far as us, yeah, I mean, that one place for us is Asana. That's where we can put in all of our documents, all of our tasks, follow up with each other, tag each other. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely one, it's best to have one centrally located spot where you can communicate with your team. How do you learn something like Asana? We use Asana, not to its fullest extent by no means, but how do you all, you know, like even teach 
a new teammate, something like Asana. Yeah. Yeah. So Asana is super in depth and you know, honestly, I'll be the first to admit, I'm not a super tech savvy guy. So when I first started with open door capital, in fact, I was talking to, to Ryan Murdoch and he started explaining Asana to me and he knows that I'm not super tech savvy. And he's like, man, he's like, you, you got, you know, again, it was a limiting belief that like, Hey, I just didn't want to do it. I couldn't do it. He's like, Hey, you know, again, you got to get comfortable with not being comfortable if you want to grow with us, you know? So it was That's one right. of those things where you just really got to jump in, you know? And it was great because we had team members where I was able to call and say, Hey, how, how do you do this? But it's really, no different than anything else. Jump in. You got to learn it. So uh, it worked out pretty well. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.